So take your Bibles, if you would. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 8. It's kind of where I want to start uh, the study for this evening. We're going to have to pick up the pace. I, I did not nearly anticipate it to take this long. My goodness, it seems like we've been dragging on now for quite some time. So I want to kind of accelerate the pace and get to the end of Revelation and start a new study in the, the new year, um, something of a different subject. But that, at the same time, I don't want to shortchange what is here because this is, this is future yet to be fulfilled. You can read this, this book, specifically Revelation, and know 100% what is coming. This isn't guesswork. Um, especially with what we are reading in Revelation 19, 20, and 21. While there is much symbolism and a lot of metaphor and a lot of kind of sh- uh, shaded language in the first, 19, uh, first 18 chapters of Revelation, when it comes to the end, it's clear. I mean, there is no mistaking this or it's not hard to understand. This is about the return of Christ. Jesus is coming again. He came once to this world to give his life as a sacrifice for sin. And when he returns again, the age of grace will be done and he will return as King of kings and Lord of lords. There is no mistaking that. And there is no trying to explain that away. It's going to happen. And if you're like me, you could see that happening pretty quickly. I mean, five years ago, ten years ago, we didn't think like this. Well, maybe maybe some did, but I, I, I would always think, nah, that's way down in the future. I, I, the world's not at the place right now to be like that, and Christianity's too popular. Everybody knows what the mark of the beast is. Nobody's going to take that, blah, blah, blah. All these kind of things that ran through my head. Just within, I, I would say, the last four years, probably specifically, maybe the last two, I've seen the whole dynamic of society change. A new hatred of God, I guess, or a, I, I don't know if I'll call it that, a new, uh, yeah, yeah, um, apathy, that's the word, I'm, like straight out, they don't, people don't care, people don't care about God, they don't care about God, they don't care about Satan, they just don't care, they care about what's right here and what's right now, and very, um, materialistic, world-focused, self-focused view that is much more prevalent than it used to be in the past. And so I could see the stage being set along with political things and world things going on for this to take place. Regardless of if it's soon or if it's in our lifetimes or some time yet to be and the Lord tarries is coming, this is going to happen and this is written so that we know. I can read these chapters and see what is going to happen. We've already looked at the return of Christ and when he comes again in this event called the marriage of the Lamb where his faithful people of all ages are gathered to him. The ones who have longed for his coming, been looking for it. He finally comes and says, hey, come up here with me. And there's this event like a marriage that takes place. It's symbolizing the joining together. Finally, we will be with Christ forever. The one we've thought about, the one we've tried to envision in our heads, the one we pray to and we do our best to see by faith. The day's coming when all barriers will be gone and we will see Christ face to face and we will be with. There's not going to be any more separation. There's not going to be me 
slipping up and, and falling from grace or, or messing up and getting far from God. No, all that's gone and we will finally be with Him. Those who believe and live their lives for Him. That happens and then Christ physically will come back to this earth. So we'll go there in just a second. But I want to touch on one of the things that has been kind of left hanging out there. So you're in chapter 8. Look at verse uh, 1. Revelation 8 and 1. And when he had opened the seventh seal, you remember the seals? This scroll as it's shown that is sealed with seven seals. And so Christ takes the scroll. He breaks open a seal, unrolls a little bit. Events happen. Breaks the next seal, unrolls a little bit. Something else happens on the earth. It's the... It's the events of the end time. The end of times is tribulation. Christ initiates each event by the, these breaking of the seals. He unrolls a little bit. It takes place and it doesn't. The next thing does not happen until Christ says, okay, go now. You get the picture? He unrolls it. He breaks the seals and it's sealed with seven seals. Well, we're here at the last. We've spent time already on the other six and all the events that take place and Seal 6 is a big one because that ties in with Matthew chapter 24 and trumpet number 7 when Christ returns. That's His return. Now here we're here at the 7th. Revelation 8 and 1. When He opened the 7th seal, there was silence in heaven for about the space of half an hour. Huh. Silence in heaven for half an hour. This one has intrigued me for a long time. What, what is this talking about? Is it like this holy silence where everybody's just standing like this, you know, or the, the Jesus pose? <laughs> however you do it, however he's painted. You know, is, is, is it like that? Because trust me, if I asked you guys to be silent for half an hour, it's probably not going to happen. After like two minutes, it gets weird. You start looking around at each other and laughing, trying, to, trying not to giggle. Fifteen minutes and you guys are asleep, I'll just say <laughs> I'll say that. But silence, like complete silence in all of heaven for half an hour. What's, what's going on there? And since when has there been silence in heaven? Heaven's not a silent place. It's not these... I, I don't know what vision you have of heaven, but if it's some little fat baby with wings strumming a harp floating on a cloud, you're dead wrong. It's not this silent place. I suppose maybe it was silent before anything was, when it was just God. God in His triune perfection in eternity past when He just simply was. Forever and ever and ever and ever before. There was no beginning. There was just God. And Him and the Father, the, Father, the Son, and the Spirit existing together. Was it silent then? I don't know. But there was a point in time where God decided to create, right? He spoke the angels into existence. You can read in Job chapter 38, it says, as he's talking to Job, were you there when the sons of God shouted for joy at creation? And Ezekiel chapter 28, when it's referencing the fall of Lucifer, who we call Satan, he says this in Ezekiel 28, 13, 
in the day that thou wast created. You see, the angels have a start point. God made them. At some point in eternity past, he said, angels be, and they were. And since then, there has been no silence in heaven. Turn to chapter 4 and verse 8. We get two glimpses into heaven as it exists right now. In Isaiah chapter 6, where we see the beautiful vision of the throne room. I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. And he gets a vision of what he calls the seraphim, crying one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. You remember that passage in Isaiah chapter 6? Well, we get another window in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 8. And the four beasts, each of them had six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. These angels are praising the Father in the very presence of God Himself, and they do not stop day or night to say the same thing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There's not been silence in heaven. You know what heaven is full of? It's praise. Praise to God. Praise from the angels. Praise from our time. When our time started at creation and Abel, Cain and Abel, Abel was the first one to walk into heaven. What do you think he did? Sat there in silence? No, he praised him. And every saint since then has entered into the presence of God, praising Him. And so for the last 6,000, 8,000, 10,000 years, however much you want to put a timeline on our time, it has not been silent. But here, all of a sudden, dead silence. Why? I believe this coincides with chapter 19. Go to Revelation 19. Revelation 19 in verse 11, kind of keep that in the back of your mind as we read this. Revelation 19 and verse 11. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself, and he was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood. And His name is called the Word of God. We already looked at this last time we were together. This is Jesus. The glorified, risen, triumphant Christ. He's not coming as a lamb anymore. He's coming, as a he's coming on a horse and He's coming to judge and to make war. You see, He came the first time to save us. And we still live in that age of grace. Anyone, whosoever believes in Him, shall not perish but have everlasting life. That age stops right here because now he's coming back to get his vengeance. Think of all the people of all time, of all humanity who have rejected God. Outright rejected, blasphemed him. All those who have heard the gospel and say, no, I don't want that. I don't believe in Jesus. God has had mercy and let them continue in their unbelief, even drawing them time after time. Here, 
all that's done. And he finally and fully gets his vengeance. He's coming back to make war. His name is called the Word of God. And we looked, we finished up last time with that vesture dipped in blood. That's not the blood of his, of his own. Isaiah 63, that's the blood of his enemies. He's coming to get vengeance. Uh, verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. So it's not just him. The armies of heaven follow him. All this mass of thousands and thousands, if not millions of people following him, sitting on horses clothed in the same white linen, fine and clean. Look back to verse 8. In fact, if you write in your Bible, maybe you should write by verse 14, verse 8. Because it says, verse 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. And what are these armies of heaven wearing? Fine linen, white and clean. I already made the statement, I believe we will come with our Savior, following Him on white horses. But I want you to notice something else. This word armies is a pretty interesting word. You can find it one other place in the New Testament, but it's translated a little different. You want to turn there, you can. If not, listen now. I'll read to you from Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We'll be covering some of this in the coming month. But listen, they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came on upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in, born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. That word host is the same word armies. Same Greek word that used to describe this mass of angels. Hark the herald angels sing. One of my favorite songs of all time is also described as the armies of heaven. See, I don't think this is just us. I think these armies of heaven that come with Christ is also the angels. Do not the angels appear in this manner as well? In fact, in Luke chapter nine, we just or Luke chapter two, we just read the angel was shining in apparel, and the glory of the Lord is shining. And Luke chapter twenty-four, when uh, the empty tomb is there. The two angels that are there are clothed in white and shining linen. This is not just his gathered people. Turn with me, if you would, to Second Thessalonians chapter two. Excuse me, Second Thessalonians chapter one. Second Thessalonians one and verse seven. Second Thessalonians one seven. To you who are troubled, rest with us that when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty what? Angels. 
When the Lord heaven shall be revealed from when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints he comes with his angels to be glorified in his saints all that to say that when this seventh seal happens, which means it's completed, that it's silent in heaven because all of heaven is with him. All the angels, all the saints are with him. It's been a long time coming. It's been a long time deserved. Go back to Revelation 19. We'll finish up the chapter here real quick. You know the scene, right? You know what's happened right before this. The armies of the earth have gathered together. Revelation chapter 16 says they all gathered to a place called Armageddon. You've heard that word before, right? Sound familiar, Armageddon? We usually use it to describe like what would happen if World War III happened. Oh, it's just destruction everywhere and it's going to be an Armageddon. We kind of use it that way. Actually, it's not really that way. We'll see here in just a couple minutes, but... The armies of the earth, the armies of the Antichrist, have gathered together to make war with God, to make war with Jesus. That's what Revelation says. They're going to try to kill God. Humanity's going to try to kill God. Can you imagine that? What, what are we going to point nuclear missiles at the sky? What do, we, what do we think we're going to do? But that's what it says. The Antichrist gathers his armies to a place called Armageddon to make war with God, as we'll see here in just a minute. That's the scene. Then the sky splits. His faithful are caught up. Dead in Christ rise to glorified bodies. Those who are alive are changed in the twinkling of an eye and rise in the air to meet with Him and forever to be with Him. Then He turns and begins to come down, riding on a white horse, glorified with the armies of heaven following Him. Revelation 19:15 And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written king of kings and lord of lords You see he's coming against the armies of the earth with all their guns pointed, with all their fists shaking, with their missiles pointed at him, whatever we think we're going to try to get him with. And his weapon? A sword. A sword that comes out of his mouth. Now, what is It's kind of a weird picture, right? It's symbolic. What is this sword? Well, just looking in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 16, John sees him, says, he has, a right, he has in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. In chapter 2 and verse 16, Jesus himself says, Repent, or I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, right? Hebrews chapter 4 is probably what you're familiar with. The Word of God is quick or alive. And powerful and sharper than any what? Two-edged sword. I think the, sim the symbolism is easy to piece together. 
Christ comes to fight against evil and to have victory with His Word. He gains the victory with His Word because He is the Word. Did not we just read that? He is called the Word of God and He comes to fight against evil with His Word. You see, the Word has two edges. You know that, right? There is the edge of grace and mercy, the one we like. The one that tells us that God loves us so much that He wants to save us. The one that tells of the Holy Spirit that fills and empowers and leads and guides us and gives us victory. The the part that tells us of our inheritance that waits forever in heaven and how God is going to keep us through faith and He's going to bring us there and we're going to be victorious in Him. We like that edge of the Word, don't we? The grace and the mercy. But do you understand the other side is law and judgment? In fact, you know that, right? When the Bible told you you're a sinner. Probably heard that and it made you mad. You didn't like it, did you? Who's this preacher standing in the pulpit thinks he knows anything about me? Tell me I'm wrong. And I, I Listen, I've heard it all. We don't like that edge, but it was that edge of the word that was necessary to tell us you're standing in judgment, you're in danger, and under the wrath of God, you need a Savior. Before we understood the other side, which was grace and mercy. You see, it wounds us. The Bible wounds us. Even now, I'm a pastor. I've been, I've been a part of His church for 30-something years. But the Bible still wounds me and heals me. Does that make sense? It tells me I'm wrong, but then right there it gives me grace. It gives me the, the remedy. It wounds and it heals. I know the two edges of the Bible. And if you think about it, you do too. Those who listen understand how it calls us out, but it also calls us up. And it, it makes us better as we read it and let the Spirit move upon us. But there are some who won't listen because it tells us exactly what's going to happen to those who rebel against God. Listen. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. There's no guesswork. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Who's the greatest king? He's king over that. Who's the greatest leader? He's leader over him. Far and above, he is the king of all kings that ever have been. He is the Lord of all lords. He is God. God in the flesh. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves into the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond and small and great. Why? Because there's going to be a war and Christ is going to be victorious. The Bible tells us exactly what's going to happen. You know what people do with this? They tune out. They turn away. They walk away. Sooner or later, we face Jesus. We can face Him now in grace 
and humble ourselves? Well, we're facing this. You face them in this manner. You know, the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, either willingly now in this life or we will be made to. Hell is full of believers. Right now, it's full of believers. But for them, it's too late. He fights against them with the truth of the word. Psalm 2. You want to turn there with me? Let's turn there real quick. David writes this thousands of years before John even sees the revelation. And thousands of years before this will come to pass. But notice what he says in Psalm 2. Psalm 2 and verse 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of earth set themselves... Harden themselves. And they, the rulers take counsel together, saying, <coughs> excuse me, against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast their cords away from us. The nations of the earth and the kings of the earth say, Hey, man, we got to get rid of God. We got to get him out and his influence off. Sound familiar? Has that not been happening in our nation? Do we not see it at the Right, right before our eyes, this happening. David already writes this. David knew this would happen as he writes this and, and knows what's going to happen. Verse 4, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, and the Lord shall hold them in derision. He's not going to forget what we did. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. I have set my king on the holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, and thou shalt dash them in pieces like the potter's vessel. Exactly what Revelation says is going to happen. Christ will rule with a rod of iron. He will break the nations. And there's a warning here. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. You better listen up. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and ye perish from the way, when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are they that put their trust in Him. You see, there's a warning all the way back in Psalms for exactly what's going to happen. You better be right with God, because you don't want to be on the wrong side when He comes. All right, let's finish up. He comes... With the sword of His Word, He conquers. He's going to destroy. He's going to be victorious in this battle. He is the King of Kings, the Ancient of Days. For 2,000 years until now, this promise has remained and it's going to happen. It will stand until it comes to pass. And we have been warned. So verse 19, let's look at what happens. This is the beginning of Armageddon. I already said we, we think of Armageddon like this worldwide war of epic proportions and we've got nations fighting each other and we've got this nuclear wasteland. We could have World War III, but it won't be Armageddon because here's what happens in Armageddon. Notice verse 19. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken... And with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and then that worshipped his image. 
These both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon his horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. This doesn't take months. This doesn't take weeks or even days. I don't even think it takes an hour. You know how long I think it takes? 30 minutes. Hmm. Do I have any scriptural support for that? Well, I know there's silence in heaven for about half an hour. While Jesus comes, all of heaven stands there and watches, and he gets his revenge. It's not going to be a war. I don't even think we're going to get to fire off a shot. I think it's over pretty quickly, because the first thing that happens is not Jesus ducking and dodging on horses and, you know, doing the matrix thing and, all are guided away from him. No. What ha what's happened? First thing, the Antichrist is taken. The word literally seized. Taken up right into eternal hell. Isn't that what it says? The beast, which is the Antichrist, was taken. And with him, the false prophet that did those miracles that got everybody to follow the mark of the beast. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. That lake of fire, which we'll see here in the next chapter, is what most of us refer to when we talk about hell. The eternal judgment of God on sin. And its first inhabitants, before any human inhabitant, we'll, we'll get into this next week, before any human inhabitant, the first ones that are cast alive into this lake of fire that we are told of in Scripture is the Antichrist and the false prophet. There's no, I mean, he doesn't speak a word. There's no battle right away. Boom, you're gone. And in the next instant, what happens? The remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse. He speaks. You understand? You get the symbolism here? He speaks and it's over. Just a word. Do you understand? He spoke and it all started. John 1 tells us that, right? Let me, let me read it so I don't misquote it. John chapter 1, when speaking of Christ, it says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, by Christ. And without Him was not anything made that was made. So when God said, light be, Genesis 1, it was Christ. Christ, God the Son, said, light be, and light was. That same word that spoke everything to existence, in one word will put down all oppression. I don't know what word he'll use. Maybe it's his name. You remember in the garden when the, the, the guard is coming to get him? They say, are you Jesus? You know what he says? I am. <laughs> they all fall down. Because <laughs> he speaks his name. And they all fall. The name of God. I am. Is that what he's going to say? I am. Boom. Will he say, amen? Boom. I don't know. But the word of his... The power of the word of his mouth 
goes out and all oppression at that moment is done. It's a slaughter. It's a slaughter. Revelation chapter 16 says the blood flows so deep in this valley, it goes to a horse's bridle. Enough to fill the birds of the air as they come to feast on the bodies. It's not a pretty picture. It's beautiful and it's scary, isn't it? Beautiful for those that know Him and understand this is Christ. This is God getting His rightful and long-delayed judgment. And to know I'm not on that side. (laughs) Because of His grace, I'm not on that side. But to those who don't know Him, it's terrible, and it should be. This This is not some symbolic image. If you're not right with Him, this is what happens when He returns. You've had chance after chance if you've heard the gospel time and time and you've been given time after time to repent. That's grace. That God doesn't do this to us the first time we say no. Or the first time we use His name as a curse word or whatever it is. The first time we disrespect and blaspheme Him. This is what should happen. Enough. Because He is so holy and sin is so dark. But we've been given chance after chance after chance. Romans 2, know you not that the mercy of God is meant to lead you to repentance. Chance after chance so we can repent and get right with Him and and confess our sins and be forgiven of our sins. There's coming a day, it's a promise, that's not going to happen. It will be vengeance. All the rebels, all the God-haters, Done in an instant. There will be no struggle. There will be no war. Just the righteous vengeance of God on those who outright reject. And with this, it is finished. Tribulation, over. Seven seals, over. It's done. Time as we know it, sort of, this age is done. And at this very moment, a change, ha- a change happens. Actually, it's a pretty literal change. What's going to happen next after Christ comes and He is victorious against all His enemies, what's going to happen next is He's going to rule as King on this earth. Have you heard the phrase the millennium or the millennial reign? That's a big biblical word. It means a thousand year reign of Christ on this earth. There is coming a day when this happens. Jesus will literally be king over the literal nations of this literal earth. This ground that we walk on, Christ is going to set his feet on and he's going to set up his kingdom and he is king. There's no more presidents. There's no more uh, kings or queens. It's Jesus. All governments go to him. And I'll tell you what, right now, most of Bible prophecy by far speaks of that time. You know, when Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is going to be like that, that's what he's talking about. When the disciples asked, hey, is your, are you going to set up your kingdom now? That's what they're talking about. When the, Israels, the Israelites were looking for a kingdom and they thought he was going to be king, that's what they were talking about. And that's going to come to pass. And So we're going to take a look at what it's going to be like, what's going to happen. Do we have a place in it? 
going to be pretty, pretty amazing. So we'll pick it up there next week. And uh, pray it's been helpful.